Hello, and welcome to What in Tarnation, Tar Heel Blog's hot take podcast. On this episode, we're discussing another brutal week for UNC athletics. I'm Tanya Anderson, and with me as always are Brandon Anderson and Julius Emanuel. Guys, I hate that we keep meeting like this. Same. I'm glad you didn't ask us how we were doing this time. Because no need, no need. We already know. Yeah, we've got to do something about this, or someone else needs to do something about this. I perhaps feel the worst for Julius because, admittedly, when things took a turn in the ACC championship game, I decided to put up our Christmas tree. And that is basically how I spent most of the game. Uh, Julius was in attendance as he was for the NC state game as well. So we may have to like start paying for therapy or something. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I even tweeted that I hope the Rams club is going to start offering uh, assistance to counseling, um, for, you know, members because ah, it's been a very interesting, uh, three games slide there. So. Yeah, between the football game, uh, followed pretty quickly by the basketball game, followed quickly by the women's soccer game, it has been a bad stretch that was right on the heels of what was already a bad stretch. I mean, we can even fit the women's basketball team in there because they lost to Indiana too. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, because they were trying to, you know, copy that recipe of, oh, let's get down double digits in the first half and kind of come on a run to open the second to kind of outscore them. And that didn't exactly happen. If, you know, they were trying to replicate some of UNC football's um, success. (laughs) Indiana shot something ridiculous from three in that game. Like, I think it was over 70%. It was, I mean, I don't don't know what you do with that. Um, But... On football, the first five minutes of this game seemed extremely promising. The offense got a touchdown. The defense made two stops, I think. Um, And it all seemed like maybe, maybe you could squint your eyes and see how this went well. But... (laughs) Oh, I was, I was with, in hindsight, maybe that was a warning sign. <laughs> you, you never get too confident. <laughs> no. Never fly too close to the sun. Because I'm standing uh, there, I'm standing there in my section going, okay, what is happening here? Like, this is, that was too easy. I don't like, you know, how this is going to go kind of thing. So, yeah, that was a, a pre-telling for how the rest of the game was going to go. And see, normally I am that person that's like, very measured in my optimism like yeah that was good but i'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop but for some reason clemson looked bad enough that i was like huh maybe maybe it will be okay but Dabo sweeney was playing 40 chess apparently and switch quarterbacks And you know that there is nothing that this UNC defense is weaker against than a non-starting quarterback. Which is insane to me. 
I don't know how you don't plan for the backup quarterback with how badly DJ has been playing. Right. Like we discussed that last week, 99 yards in the South Carolina game. Uh, you had to think that he was going to be on a pretty short leash. And yet it was like, that was just not in the plans that they cooked up at all. Okay, so two things for this one. So number one, do you counter? Do either of you agree with some other people that were um, saying that maybe we messed up by not letting DJ score on the second drive? I haven't even thought about that, but I want to say no because Dabo said that he was going to put him in on the third drive anyway. I don't believe. I feel like I, I can never tell with him. Like he. I think if DJ had gone out there and like lit it up, he's yeah. not putting him in on the third drive for sure. Right. But I do think that, like I said, his leash was short. So as soon as he started mucking it up, he was going to come out. But also in order to let him do anything, he has to actually connect on passes. And he had some really bad throws that I'm not even sure UNC had anything to do with. There was a couple that went in the dirt and I was just like, who are you throwing to, my man? He had a couple of throws that kind of looked like the first one of the throws that May had against State, where you were like, "Is he injured?" Because that didn't even like, <laughs> what was that, you know? Exactly. We were, and we knew DJ wasn't injured, and so everybody was like, "Oh yeah, our defense is playing great." I'm like, mm, "Our defense <laughs> didn't really have anything to do with that." Uh, Has that his was, shoulder disconnected from his body, and no one informed us? Uh huh. Yeah, I mean. I don't I don't think letting him score would have done anything because I mean he he was not going to be capable of sustaining success it appears. So the only th- the only reason I would lend credence to the letting DJ score on the second um offensive possession for Clemson would be just for some reason, he got one, maybe two other attempts, you know, on a drive. But UNC didn't score after that, so it wouldn't have mattered anyway. So, exactly. Yeah. I think what this game really came down to was really bad preparation. I don't know how you don't plan for the backup quarterback, but I also don't know how you don't get the offense ready to score more than ten points. And that's another thing. Like they looked so good on that first drive. What did? Dabo changing quarterbacks due to Carolina's offense. And how many times? So even the last episode that we did, I said I was very concerned with their lack of ability to score touchdowns at all uh, at different points. And, you know, they score a touchdown, a touchdown opening drive. Well, you know, the touchdown for the, the next three quarters, like. I definitely understand, you know, people like, oh, well, Mac and, you know, whoever, Mac and, and Gene and company did not really prepare for having um, Kate come in. That's a problem. Yes. But scoring 10, I believe, is a bigger problem uh, because I think that kind of lent itself to Clemson scoring as much as they did. Right. We, how many three and outs did we have? So many. Uh, yeah, quite a few. And I think that's a good point, though, because if you keep <laughs> – if you keep Clemson's offense off of the field, I highly doubt that they get to 39. But the problem was that we couldn't even do that much. And the times that we came close to keeping them off the field, couldn't get it done in the red zone, which is a very death and taxes thing when it comes to Phil Longo's offense at this point. It has backpedaled dramatically since 
what was it the wake forest game the wake forest game was really like when drake started looking human yeah i don't know what happened in the second half of that game but that's where everything just really fell apart and so from a team perspective i believe uh we're at like 38 sacks for drake on the season or 38 sacks allowed for that offensive line. And they're 104th in uh, red zone scoring. Yeah. That tells the whole story right there. And, you know, a lot has, I think, rightfully been made of the defense and their shortcomings this year. Um, Therefore, while they were turning you know, every game into a wild shootout where the offense needed to score like 50 points to have a chance at a win. But truly, the last few weeks have not been their fault. And it's been on the offense. And Anon, I mean, we talked about this in the last episode, I'm pretty sure, like a non-zero amount of that has been like a deterioration in red zone play calling. I think. Yeah. Not that it's ever been great, certainly. Um, but it feels like it's it's taken even more of a step back. Right. And I'd even argue that it's not even just the red zone. I think it's just play calling in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like I said, like we seriously need to ask ourselves uh how much of the advancement of the ball that has happened how much of it has been from the play call and how much that has it been from drake and josh and antoine and company overcoming you know the the play call where the stuff breaks down and you know uh josh gets some separation or somebody gets some separation he's able to get it down the field and they catch it um was that is can you attribute that to the play call or do you attribute that to you know talent uh i go with the latter so yeah. I, I agree because when you look at how Drake plays, I mean, he's a creator like that. That's what he does. He finds a way to either get the ball to his guy or he finds a way to get away from getting sacked if he can. And like he'll, you know, take the ball down the field himself. And I think I would argue that Josh Downs is kind of the same way. I think he makes plays that not every receiver on the college level can make. Um, and I think that helps. And I think that helped during a very specific time of Longo's tenure when he had Sam Howell, Javante Adams, or I'm sorry, Javante Williams. Wow. Um, <laughs> and Michael Carter, Daz Newsom. Um, I'm forgetting the wide receiver's name, but anyways, He's always had somebody to bail him out, is my point. And and when you're thinking about next season without Downs mm-hmm. and without Green, mm-hmm. that should be kind of terrifying. Yeah. Because my greatest fear, and I think I've said this before, is that we waste what will be the last year of Drake. Right. Deami Brown was the name I was thinking of, by the way. But yeah, like, um, I, we saw Sam Howell regress in over the course of his three years. We don't get 
three years of Drake if everything goes, you know, according to plan. Um, and without Downs and without Green and without, you know, a, a surefire thing to replace that kind of production, I fear that if there's not a change at coordinator, we will talk about how two of the most talented quarterbacks that we've seen uh, basically were wasted on would have and could have. So, yeah, and and obviously um, I agree with that, but I think we've got something that we need to tackle before we even get to, you know, the idea of whether Longo comes back or not. Um, And I I, I mentioned this to Brandon earlier, listening to Drake after the the presser, um, he, I don't know if it was intentional or what he did, but he said, uh, it is my intention, you know, to come back to Carolina, Um, you know, wearing those, wearing those colors means something. I didn't really – that didn't make me feel very good, right? Because that's the plan. Yeah, that's the plan. Like, oh. so, you know, um, we got to we, we gotta figure that part out first, right? We've got to make sure that he even comes back. Uh, and then from there, I guess that's um, – I don't know. I guess you'd have to err on his side of, or his, of judgment. You know, they're, they're pretty good, especially with his dad, on what they kind of want to do. So – What's the, what's not what's the dynamic there? How does he feel about it? You know, what does he want? What does he want to do? And, and obviously, maybe you shouldn't kind of hinge that decision on a player, but it is like he's got the potential. Uh, he was snubbed this year, obviously. You know, with the um, not being a Heisman finalist, got the opportunity to kind of to do that uh, next year. Yeah, this it's kind of weird dynamic that we're in right now as far as a football program. Um, as far as I'm concerned. And you have to wonder if what Drake thinks is best for him is another year of Longo, because, I mean, starting over with a new coordinator that he's not familiar with in his basically NFL tryout final season um, is certainly a thing to overcome. But, you know, I can't speak to what he feels is the better situation there. Um, He obviously would know better than we would. All we know is what we see on television. Um, But I think anyone can see that he started struggling as some of the play calling became interesting is a word that I guess I will use to be charitable. Um, be charitable. It was bad. Questionable. Questionable. Um, and I don't think that that is a coincidence that he looked unstoppable. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, it's not like the play calling was immaculate and then changed, but it something happened. <laughs> Yeah. And um, I would be very cautious about having whatever caused that particular set of events to happen um, being in charge next year. And and um, that's all before we get into the fact that uh, the defense is 
bailing on a sinking Titanic. And um, that should be a bit of a red flag to people, I think. Um, well, and okay. And so, and to the uh, defensive credit, I'll say that obviously some of the attrition that we've seen so far with nine players, and I can't remember how many starters, but you know, already in the transport portal, um, not great. However, I don't like to talk ill of anyone transferring, but even Marquise Williams said yesterday, if you weren't, I'll put it a little more eloquently than he put it on Twitter, but if you weren't performing at Carolina, how do you expect to perform any, anywhere else? Um, you know, film doesn't lie. So, you know, there's a little bit of an interesting dynamic there where it puts you, okay, next season, especially for some of the veteran defensive staff that I think will be their make or break point with these departures, because then you'll be able to say, okay, it was coaching and development, or it was, you know, a talent issue, right? With these, with, with the starters leaving and the uh, four star recruits that we've got coming in, having to step up and play, you'll be actually able to see. And then if the same thing happens, obviously, you know, you'll have more ammo to kind of clean house there. But yeah, I don't, I don't like it. But I don't know that I am particularly concerned at this point. Uh, I think I'm more curious to see, and maybe for that very reason. But I'm more curious to see which side of the which side of the house this is on. Whether it's um, player development, talent thing, a little bit of both. You know, I, that, that's where I stand on that. My thing is that. Mac has done such an incredible job with recruiting. And I think he, I mean, I would hope he's fully aware of that. I feel like if he sees it as anything other than, and and like, obviously he can see this from a different perspective, but if he sees it as anything different than a coaching problem, then I feel like we have a Mac problem because he brought in a bunch of four stars. He brought in a few five stars and we are still playing like this is like a Larry Fedora team. I don't really understand why or how other than he brought in the wrong people that have done well enough to put butts in the seats and nothing more. Um, well, cause a lot of Mac is selling what could be right. Yeah. Like, it could be this. It could be that. It's the hope of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to execute at some point. And I feel like in the current state we're in, it it's past like, we're just happy to be here kind of sentiment. It's like, okay, I actually need you to like deliver on the hope that we were promised. Okay. Yeah, I, I definitely hear you, and I and I do agree. But I, so what I'm thinking though is, all right. So you got year two of the code defensive coordinators, right? You got year two of Chizik back again. Year yeah. two, year two of Warren back. You know, um, assuming he takes over the secondary, like I hope he does. Um, but after that, you won't have any like no one legitimately have any excuses. And always, you know, Grime, if you've been in the system now. Uh, so what, this is Grimes, what, third year now? Um, yeah. yeah, his third year now coming out of high school. So if it was a legitimate coaching problem, 
I don't know. After three years in, in a system and now you're trying to change it, that doesn't really change overnight, right? You don't change those um, defensive uh, development techniques that you've learned under previous administrations overnight. No. But if there's changeover between players and coaching staff, no one will have an excuse next after at the conclusion of next year. Um, you know, it'll, it, and it very well could be a little bit of both. But going back to the Mac thing, um, we all – Mac is our CEO. He's more of a CEO coach. Right? <laughs> and for better or worse. Yeah, yeah I was about to say, and there's nothing, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Everybody knew what we were getting into, you know, with him coming back. But this is just, I, and I love Coach Brown, but he did say in the press conference that they had not planned for a backup quarterback to come into the game. Um, so that is the biggest red flag that I've ever seen a coach wave. Maybe in my entire life, there's probably been something worse, but that is one of the biggest that you could possibly fly. How do you not prepare for that? So I'm going to piggyback off that and just say that stuff like that and coupled with the volume of transfers we've already seen, whether or not it's legitimate, whether or not it's, you know, somebody you know, hasn't been playing well, but they think that they can do better elsewhere. All of that is a little bit irrelevant to me. My concern is that it's bad optics. And when you're trying to win recruiting battles, when you're trying to convince these kids that you are the program where they should be for the next three years, it's hard to go in there confidently And convince them of that because if your head coach is saying, oh, like we just straight up didn't plan for that and you have, you know, whatever has happened to the offense in the latter part of the season, you have all of the sort of defections here um, following the ACC championship game. It's kind of just like it would make me – sit there and be like, what's really going on in there? And do I want to be a part of that? Or do I want to go to something that's a little more stable and um, safe? Yeah, And that's my concern. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, so the one thing that I think about that is, is not great optics. However, I believe that we could deal with a drop, um, a slight drop off in recruitment if we can get this corrected, you know, and you know how we correct it by winning. Oh, yeah. um, got to win your ball game, got to win next year kind of thing. I think we can overcome that bit of, you know, a drop off, especially considering how they recruited, you know, the past four years kind of thing. But that's it. Like you only get one drop off in a class to kind of overcome that and it becomes a major problem. Um, so yeah, that, and that, I guess that's so. That's another part where I'm just curious if that's going to continue. You know that also includes you know wholesale changes um, after next season. So yeah, let, let's wish them well or not, but don't attack them on Twitter. Um, <laughs> be be better than slandering literal children. I mean, let's put this into perspective. I think I saw. Um, earlier today that there are over 700 players in the transfer portal right now so it's not just a unc problem like players are just transferring that that's 
Yeah, there was a tweet um, from somebody like detailing like all the um, top ten schools so far with the um, transfers. I think they missed UNC because we have nine now, right? Um, but you know that list was full of Alabama, Clemson, Michigan, um, Ohio State, you know, your 10, 11 transfers kind of thing. So I I know the way we slid, and I would seriously doubt any of those are starters, uh, unlike ours. That but, was going to be my point, was how many of those people are just like, I'm behind this guy who is amazing, and I'm never going to pass him on the depth chart, so I just need to get out of Dodge and – that's all I'll say. So my little hot take is honestly the only one that I was a little shocked about would be Rara. Like I don't, he was the no. one. I'm like okay, I don't really understand that part. But everybody else, I mean, I get it. Your production's down, and you know, I love Grimes. I love what he did for the program as far as you know the recruiting hype and stuff and everything. But if you look at it, he's been down for more two seasons now, uh, and I don't know what that is necessarily, but. So I guess looking forward, uh, they have to play Oregon in the Holiday Bowl. I am not going. (laughs) None of us should go. (laughs) Is there any way that that goes well? No. No. No, I've been been carrying the Hope Torch for like four straight weeks now, and it's not worked out, so I'm just going to say no. (laughs) If if Julius is out, everyone should be out. Yeah. I just think that because there's going to be players that sit on both teams, and I think who sits for UNC is probably more detrimental to that game than Oregon, if I had to guess. I don't even know if everyone played that they <laughs> stood much. That, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, obviously, I hope UNC wins. I hope they surprise us. I hope they go out with a bang, but I think this is – one of those games that just puts the final nail in the proverbial coffin that is this season. And we move on into 2023 and hope that it's better somehow. Well, so you know what's going to happen, though, right? We're all expecting not to win, but it would be fitting for Carolina football to go out and beat Oregon to solidify some statuses that we don't necessarily think should be solidified. Between you did not need to put that on. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just saying. It would not surprise me if it happened and, you know, somebody somebody's getting an angry DM saying, see? Yeah. That will absolutely happen. Which, I mean, if they do manage to win, I I hope everybody keeps in mind that there's going to be a good amount of players playing that did not really play the like that many minutes this season. I mean, some definitely have, but I mean, Cam Kelly is going to be gone. Grimes is going to be gone. Dilworth is going to be gone. And those are just the players that are transferring, not even the ones that have announced that they're going to sit. Okay, so how so as a percentage, how many of the players that have um, entered the portal now actually play the bowl game? Because you know, Max said he would allow them to play. I don't think any of them do. I I would be shocked, but I can't imagine. I mean, maybe like charitably half. I hope none of them do, and for the simple fact that I want to see what's behind them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you need to. Well, now that we have uh, cut that wound open, 
shall we pour some salt into it and discuss the state of UNC basketball? I'm already dead inside, so why not? <laughs> let's let's just go for it. I know nothing but pain, so I'm as hurt as Baycott is right now, apparently. So we haven't spoke since uh the Indiana game, which was painful. Um, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been, I feel like. Um Baycott hurt his shoulder, and I think that um, that was the real takeaway from that game. But they opened ACC play on Sunday against Virginia Tech. And, I mean, Blacksburg is always a difficult place to play. But um, this team needed rest, uh, recuperation, practice, prayer, I don't know, all of the above. And they they got none of it before this game. And up until like, I don't know, six minutes left in the game, somewhere in that range, they were getting run out of the gym. Yeah. Um, Without Baycott, I should say, mm -hmm. um, which was sorely missed, uh, in rebounding and uh, not allowing Virginia Tech to get anything they wanted in the paint. Yeah, Virginia Tech, they scored 42 points in the paint, and we only scored 32. A lot of the damage was done by Justin Mutz, which we can dive deeper into him in a second here because I feel like we really need to talk about that guy. Um <laughs> Surprisingly, though, UNC outscored Virginia Tech from the bench, which was... Mostly because the st <laughs> they had to. They had to. Playing playing shorthanded without Baycott. And um, I know Seth Trimble was getting a non-zero amount of minutes and, and Puff. Um, Tyler Nickel. Tyler Nickel. Yeah. But um, back to Justin Mutz. I am so glad he is graduating. And I wrote that in a piece earlier this week. I just, he... He stays lighting up UNC. Stays lighting up UNC. I just want to know, like, what, what what did they do to you, my guy? Did they, did they like, feed you expired filet of fish on, like, a campus visit? If you even visited, you might not have. Like, did somebody... And insult you in some wild way like he played out of his mind in this one and I do feel like part of the problem is that Pete Nance could not handle that man whatsoever which um, we talked about this in the last, last podcast where we were confused about why Leakey wasn't on Caleb Grill in the Iowa State game, I am similarly confused as to why Leakey wasn't on Mutz when he was torching everything. Yeah, that goes back to a lot of confusing coaching decisions by Hubert Davis. Um, that's not me 
like I have no desire to absolutely rip him apart for what's been going on lately. But I will say that if there is anything that is extremely easy to point to and be like, I don't know what's going on here. It's that like leaky very well could have switched off onto mutts and they could have made somebody else beat them and they didn't. And ultimately. And when you're talking about a game that wasn't close and then got very close, like UNC pulled within three, Mm -hmm. those decisions are the, they can, they can be the difference. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree, uh, but I'm still pointing at the uh, three-point shooting woes and assists because even with uh, Baycott out, um, Carolina had six to Virginia Tech, 16. And would either one of you want to guess what we shot from uh, three-point range? Um, I'm actually looking at it, and it's terrible. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying that you just – uh, and when, when people say that, you know, UNC misses Manic and it's still too early to be saying that at this point, but but yeah, they're missing the um, ability to create space, right? Hit those shots, um, give her some points and then, you know, kind of free up the, the paint a bit. But yeah, set 18% from three-point line and, and six assists. <sighs> they, they tell two different stories and they both add up to not great. <laughs> And that was with UNC shooting, was it nearly 30 free throws? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. 27. Yeah. They they made it to the line 12 more times than Virginia Tech. And again, up until the waning moments of the game when it was like a switch flipped and suddenly there was intensity and defense and urgency that I feel like I have not seen even once prior. Um, I would say more aggressive play calling on defense. They were trapping Virginia tech. Like they were getting into them and like forcing turnovers and really making things interesting. There's a lot of effort there that I feel like has just, I don't know if it's effort. I don't know if it's energy. Maybe it's both. But it was like they found a different gear. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'll kind of preface a lot of this with, you know, what you said about, especially about practice and rest, right? So they only had a practice and a half this entire stretch, this entire streak. Um, you know, and everybody knows they were still making some of the kind of the same mistakes and wish uh, Baycott would not have changed some of the, especially the ball movement issues that we were having. Um, so, you know, they've been off now for a couple of days. We'll see what happens against Georgia Tech, you know. So uh, I I still feel like they're correctable, but my question, well, not the three points. I don't know what's going on there. But um, I still feel like some of the ball movement issues are correctable. I just don't know when or if they're going to do it. Yeah, they're correctable. Um, except the three-point shooting. Except Maybe the three-point shooting. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Comes in. Yeah, I have absolutely <laughs> no idea what's going on there. But. Even some of that, I feel like the blame can go to bad shot selection, which I think is both correctable and not correctable. If the people shooting the ball don't want to correct it, then it's going to continue to be bad. If they want to correct it, 
and they can actually create plays that give them better shots, then I think we will start seeing better three-point shooting. Um, But I do think that a lot of – and I feel like there's been different issues almost each game with, like, one constant issue, like, blanketed on top of the different issues. Um, I feel like once they're able to get some rest in practice, there's hope. I'm not going to say that's an immediate fix, um, especially now that Baycott's out. I think that is a problem. I think them not knowing when he's going to come back is a problem. They didn't even know until game time that he was going to be out against Virginia Tech. That is a huge problem. Um <laughs> So I'll I'll just say that yeah, if you can pull within three after having a game like that without Baycott, you should be able to win you know some games you know without him. For but sure. one little note I'll have to um, because we've been saying it for so long now, including last season and this one. I think you know people just need to take a shot every time we say shot selection, <laughs> shot. <problem. laughs> Select a shot every time we say shot yes. selection. Select your favorite shot. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. My thing is, it's just, it looks so disjointed. That's like what I feel like my takeaway from every game is like, you would think that the five guys on the floor met each other a week ago and were asked to like get out there and coordinate with the way they look. And we know that that's not the case. Yeah. And I think you and I talked about this earlier this week where, Yes, they have had a lack of rest. Yes, they have had a lack of practice and they've had finals and that type of thing. But it all goes back to the first few games of the season. Where where, none of those things were true. Right. And the problems were still the same problem. They were bad, but they were winning. And that's just not going to be the case moving forward because now ACC play has started. and you're you're just going to get beat up every game if you continue to play the way that you played those first games of the I mean really every game of the season they haven't had a good game yet so i don't know it's um it's interesting there's if if we're really digging for positives I still am a big fan of what Seth Trimble's been able to do so far. Yeah, he's been really good. Um, Tyler Nichols showed up in this one. Yep. So that's, that's my guy right there. Tyler yeah. <laughs> I will say to throw uh, cold water on that, um, mm-hmm. DeMarco Dunn has basically been one of Hubert's go-to guys off the bench, and he broke his hand in practice because, of course, he did. Um, yeah. So they have to – you know, sort of slide down the depth chart a bit further. Um, maybe now uh, Styles will actually get into some game action and not be uh, missing in action anymore. Um, you know, see, Twitter's going to put out an APB on him if he doesn't get on the floor. <laughs> yeah. I was ready to do that. I was ready to slap his picture on milk cartons and try to figure out if we needed to put out like an Amber alert or something, uh, push it to everybody's phone. But um, yeah, it 
I think Seth Trimble has the kind of like energy and effort that showed up there in those last few minutes of the Virginia Tech game. I don't think it was a coincidence that he was um, on the floor for a decent chunk of that. But they they all have to match that. No offense, but if you see Justin McCoy on the floor and it's not a blowout, we have a problem. Yes. And to Hubert Davis's credit, I feel like he was trying everything, everything in this game. He was but, really throwing everything at the wall. But it does really say something that, with all due respect, that we saw Justin McCoy because I I, I would not have expected. He scored. How dare you? <laughs> I, look. Yeah, he scored and Puff Johnson didn't. So, you know. He scored free throws. I, I still scoring at this point. He still scored. He scored yeah. But I'm just I'm just saying like overall like I'm not I'm not saying it's uh because I mean Coach Davis knows what he needs or knows what he wants to do right and, and whatever yeah. whether you're throwing everything at the walls you at six kind of thing that's okay but I'm just saying like as a fan you know that if you see Justin McCoy in the game and is you know the start of the second half um, things are not going well right I'm- and I mean. I would say, like, intrinsically, things are not going well. So, um, you know, maybe he's like the Grim Reaper or something that really just comes out when it's dire. Um, but I would say that it's it's pretty dire. I re- And I really wish it wouldn't be that way. I really – I don't know, you know, what's going on with him, but I, I really do – because he, he has the stature to be kind of that paint guy, does he not? Like, you know, he's not a big cop, but he's definitely um, – yeah, I think he should have the ability, but, yeah, I don't, this, I'm, it's kind of curious there. Uh, they're sharing some similarities with the football team uh, on what's going on. But. He's an interesting case. Um, I remember – talking to someone when he was transferring from Virginia. And I think while what was said to me was positive about him, I also feel like I got mixed signals about him. Like everything that was being told to me, I was just kind of like, all right, but if he's all of these things, why didn't Tony Bennett play him more? Um, And I feel like we kind of have an idea, um, but I, I, and I don't really mean that as like a whole dig. I just feel like no, you meant it in the nice way. <laughs> I'm just saying I am not roasting him like I would a certain player on the Carolina football team. I am more of saying that like. I think the problem is we can't figure out what his bag is. And I feel like if we, if they could get to what his bag is and like emphasize that, maybe we'd see him more. But right now, I don't know what that bag is. Perhaps he is bagless. See, you know, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I said I wish he would use the abilities that we think he had. But I, even when he transferred from you know Virginia, I had some – Virginia fans tell me, you know, like, good luck, like, you know, snarkily, um, you know, because I think it was like 2.1 points per game or something. I was like, oh. yeah. 
I mean, I'm glad he's I'm glad he's home because I'm thankful for anybody that wants to wear um, Carolina blue. But yes, for Tony Bennett to just you know kind of I don't even think he fought like yeah there was something there and I you know I I didn't know what it was and I still don't know what it is I don't know he's got what two more years so who knows but maybe he just has to find a niche um and on a team that is lacking a niche at this moment who knows what can happen um but I I don't think that they have a strong sense of self at the moment maybe that's the part of me that uh, needs therapy after the last week, but um, they they need to look within themselves and figure out what kind of team they would like to be. Do they need a trip to Disneyland? <laughs> they might. A land of imagination. <laughs> Where you too can be the top ranked team in the country <laughs> if you believe in yourself. <laughs> Magic wand. Uh-huh. Oh, it's sad I, over there. I, I really feel like right now finding their identity really hinges on Caleb Love and RJ Davis getting their acts together. I think it hinges on when Baycott comes back, him playing like we know he knows how to play. But I mean, it really does start in that backcourt because I feel like that has had a trickle-down effect on the rest of the team, both on offense and defense. Um, the stat line for this one was weird for both of them because they both had 18 points. They both um, – Love was 5 of 10. R.J. Davis was 6 of 11. But then you get deeper into the stats, and they turned over the ball more than they had assists. And um, obviously they shot poorly from three. That's not hard. To, that's not hard to do with them having six assists, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> right you you have to have at, like you have to at least be shooting well from three if you are not getting those assists out. But um, I feel like they and, and there's a lot of stuff that doesn't show up on the stat sheet, of course. But I just feel like until that problem is resolved. It's it's going to be bumpy. Yeah, I mean, we've seen sort of like the extremes. Like, no, uh, no one took 35 shots from the field in, in this one. Um, but I think when you when you have both of your guards kind of being a bit of a wild card in what you're going to get from them on any given game. Like, are they going to take 75% of the shots? Um, or are they going to, you know, struggle to distribute the ball? So it's very like disjointed. Um, I don't feel like the assists have been good really at any point this season. I feel like every time I look, it's kind of just like, eh, that's that's not great. Um, but, you know, we've been, I feel like I have been uh, banging the drum of like, we just need consistency. And these two guys are juniors. Um, you, you have higher expectations for, uh, the veterans on the team like that. So I feel like we just have to see more if 
we want this team to go anywhere good. One of these categories has to improve. Like you've, if you remember last season, um, well, in, in, any, in any other classic Carolina basketball season, even if you're missing shots from half court, uh, if you get the you know rebound or the tip in or whatever, you know we used to feast on second chance points, right? Yeah. And that's and that's something that we're not doing. So I do believe our ability to do that last year, um, and the you know mix in there with some you know pretty iconic shots uh, at opportune times kind of hid some of the stuff that we're dealing with right now. But yeah, one of these has got to improve. You got to you know. You're going to hawk it up from half court. You got to have somebody down there that can rebound it uh, or tip it in so we can score. Um, not the let's hawk it up from half court, miss it. They rebound it, throw it back out. They take a step forward and then do it again. Uh, <laughs> and it goes the other way. That, that's not going to work. Um, you know, so and, and the, the good thing about it, I think, is it doesn't have to be um, all three categories. I'll do. I, I do think that you know one kind of leads credit uh, credence to the other two, right? And that kind of help with with those. But yeah, it, it's got to start from somewhere. They, they've got to improve somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Um, would we like to dump another bag of salt in this uh, wound that we've been just ripping apart all night and switch gears to women's soccer? Do we have to? No, we we don't have to. Um, we probably have to. But it was just uh, very <laughs> fitting, uh, considering the way that things have been going for UNC Athletics over the last stretch. Um, if you did not see the game, and I envy you that, um, Carolina was up 2-0. They were uh, 16 seconds away from winning the national championship. And UCLA tied it and then won in overtime. Because our lives uh, have been so blessed by this school for so long that we had to course correct, apparently. And all of those checks came due uh, at the same time. Let's talk about that goal that sent it into overtime. I am still mad about it. I have never, and and I mean, granted, I have not watched soccer as much as definitely you have, or maybe even Julius, but I have never seen the other team push a goalie into the net. Not 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 like a shove, but a tackle. With their, yeah, <laughs> a tackle of the goalie to the point where they have no chance of getting to the ball, but now everybody's in the net and UCLA scores. Like, what? Contrary to popular belief, you're, you're not actually supposed to be able to tackle the goalie into her own net and then score. Well, it's fair, and that's true. But I, so I just I, – I think that was just a very bad continuation of uh, no calls and no, you know, replays, no looks um, that fell on UNC's part um, in, in that game. I, I'd be curious to know – this is a game where I really, really want refs to have their own pressers after games so you can explain yes. uh, exactly what was going on here. 
Uh, but yeah, that that was just that was one that was probably that was probably the most egregious, but it definitely wasn't the only one. The right. only one that I called or even looked at. And that's very true. Um, I think UCLA was playing very rough. Um, and you know, we we spoke about this before we started recording, but uh, you kind of have to play that way to take on a team like Carolina. Um, I don't have a problem with the sort of like physical aspect of it. Um, I had more of an issue with the fact that it was very unevenly called in my opinion. Um, There were sort of egregious things that I feel like UCLA got away with um, to a point that it it felt like uh willing like blindness and not like like i know you saw that mm. i don't know how you didn't call that um and there was the uh there was a shot in overtime where um it was it was a very similar situation actually in that like everyone was kind of piled up in front of the UNC goal and um, UNC managed to keep like a quarter of the ball from crossing the plane uh, to keep UCLA from scoring. Um, And that was reviewed uh, to see if it was a goal or not. And I understand that college uh, soccer does not review fouls, which is why the, goal with 16 seconds to go was not reviewed but it was obvious to anyone watching with functioning eyeballs that Emmy Allen was like football tackled into the net in a position where she had no chance of making a play on the ball and to me that was just um a pretty egregious no call by the ref there. You know, what's going to make me blow an entire gasket is if, and I don't know that this would happen with this, but if they ever talked to those referees and they admitted that that was some type of foul, I would probably just burn everything. I would just go around with a torch. I would just burn everything in sight because it's just like, y'all saw it i know you did like even live action is just like did you ever wonder where the goalie went i i i'm sure you did because she disappeared she's on the ground under the ucla player right Uh, i i'd definitely be an advocate of you know not even the NCAA. if this was an acc tournament game you might be able to get an answer out of it but um probably not the NCAA. but yeah i'd definitely be interested in listening to um a ref, you know, an official presser after after a game like this. So, you know, asked pointed, hey, so the goalie was down. What did you think? <laughs> did she yeah. Do? Help me to understand how that was not a foul. <laughs> right. Um, so, but I'll I tell you. Sorry. I will say this. So I posed the question earlier on Twitter um, I don't know that I necessarily believe this, and maybe the reps were Coach K fans. Who knows? But uh, I asked in a poll uh, if 
if UNC is actually cursed because of the last two weeks that we've had, was it worth it? And yes. I think I had about 900 votes and about 80% said yes. Only but 80. hang on, hang on. Let me put this in perspective for you. Look at the, the possible, if you're going to go down this rabbit hole, let's completely go down it, right? So if you're going to agree that UNC is cursed and, and it's because of what happened in last season, let's look at what UNC potentially lost, right? So we potentially lost to Heisman, or at least the Heisman finalist, but we'll go with Heisman because we're, we, you know, hyperbole is what I'm doing here. Uh, so we lost to Heisman. We lost the AC championship in football. We lost a college football playoff berth, and we lost a soccer championship, national championship, in addition to losing four straight as the number one team and our top 10 women's basketball team also losing, you know, on the road to Indiana. Are all of those, I, granted, I, I know what I'm asking, but are, is all of that still worth winning both of those games? Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, and I will I will throw these nuggets out there. Women's lacrosse won a national title this year. I don't remember Phil's before or after the Duke game. but Wasn't it field hockey? No, they, they won a lacrosse, too. I Googled it yesterday. Um, huh. I will double check to make sure, but yeah, that's what field I hockey include, still I did. Field, it. I didn't include field hockey because I know they they actually did win, so I didn't put them in this. Field hockey is supreme. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I feel like while there are some UNC athletics down tremendously, I still feel like we are still having success, and I will say that the program like the athletics program as a whole has won so much that if the difference between us continuing to do well and not do well hinges on whether or not we beat duke in the final four i would rather do poorly for a bit if it means that we get to hold on to that win because i just all i know is that when they are lowering my cold corpse into the ground, I will have forgotten about the Heisman. I will have forgotten about the ACC championship. I will probably have forgotten about the women's soccer title. I will not have forgotten what we did to Duke in Coach K's final season. And that is what I will hold on to for the rest of my time on the mortal coil. So, Okay. I'm going to twist this one just a little bit. So I, I I don't disagree with you. I'm, you know, I just, I'm always throwing out hypotheticals, but if we continue at this stretch, we're going to have to consult a state fan to figure out how they deal with this stuff, because this has been nuts. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we don't need to go quite that, that that's... far. So. I'll just say, I'll just, this has been quite a two-week, an interesting two-week period uh, for Carolina Athletics. But yeah, I, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily agree. Um, you know, that that's the, I don't, that that's the cause. It was just funny that people were saying it. they were sending me, you know, DMs about it. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I, I got it. Yeah. Um, as much as I want success for UNC Athletics as a whole, and I, I do. Um, none affect my well-being as much as the men's basketball program. And I know what that says about me and I'm not proud of it, but it's where we are and I'm admitting the truth. Um, Losing those games 
particularly the Final Four game to Duke would have put me in in a in a terrible mood for uh, a very long time. I don't know that I could have. Uh, I don't know that I could have gone on for at least a bit there. So um, it all worked out the way that it needed to work out. I'm willing to take a couple lumps uh, to to have had that happen. I don't think UNC is cursed. I think we're just in a rough stretch. We are down tremendously, but you know what? It's going to be all right because it has to be because it just has to be. That is my hope, (laughs) at least. It obviously could be worse, but I feel like... I will hire a witch doctor to, like, uncurse them or whatever is necessary. We just, we cannot undo what what has been done. Exactly. So if the women's basketball team wins their next game, I'll say that we're on the way up. But if they also, because we're, I mean, just let's be honest, uh, at least so far into this winter season, UNC has been a um, women's college team, women's sports team. Yeah. So, yeah. I believe, like, I think that the women just ran into an unfortunate, hot shooting Indiana team. Um, I think they are still rock solid. I expect good things out of them. Not worried, much less worried about them than I am the men's team, for sure. As long as they don't do that, let's get behind double digits and try to outplay it in the second half thing. Let's let's get over that. But, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I that- have more I have more faith. I at this juncture, and it, I guess it was kind of the same thing. I said the same thing last season in Carolina. The, the men's team did what they did, but um, yeah, I thought their ceiling was higher last year again. So, yeah, for sure. Well, guys, uh, this has been a nice uh, therapy session to air all of our grievances. It is very nearly Festivus, and I feel like we should do a Festivus episode to air. All of our 2022 UNC athletics grievances, because I feel like there are a non-zero amount of them. And if things don't turn around, there may be more. Oh, yeah. I am all the way down. Um, So, yeah, we will be back next week to hopefully, I mean, we said this last time, but hopefully talk about happier things. In the meantime, would you like to tell the people where they can find you? You can find me at THB Brandon. And you can find me at, at UNC underscore Tar Heel fan. I am at Tanya underscore underscore Anderson. Until next time, go Heels. Go Heels. Go Heels.